It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Broadcasting live on the Mixed Radio Network, you're listening to Casey Ryan on the cutting room floor. Casey, the floor is yours. All right, how you doing everybody? Casey Ryan here again for another episode of the Cutting Room Floor, a little podcast that I started to showcase indie entertainers and creative types from all walks. I like to say if you've got a story to tell or a project to sell, then I want to hear from you. Uh, the easiest way to get a hold of me is on Twitter. You can ask anybody that knows me. Uh, I'm on there pretty much all the time. My Twitter handle is at CuttingRoomMRB. Uh, or you can catch up with me on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash CuttingRoomMRB where I post um, the recordings to the show. And I also post the, you know, additional random little things that make me laugh up there. Uh, I'm doing a double episode today to make up for not being around last week. Uh, I had a very good reason for this last week. Uh, it was the 24th of uh, April, and if anybody follows me on Facebook at all, you know that that's my wedding anniversary. So I stayed offline as much as I could, you know, uh, trying to be good. And, and uh, so I'm making up for it this week by doing a double. Uh, next week, by the way, uh, next weekend, by the way, I usually take Mother's Day weekend off primarily because, you know, it's very, very difficult for me to book a guest. And I'm also going to be in Ottawa attending the uh, Romancing, Romancing the Capital Writers Conference uh, in Stittsville. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to meet up with some of the people that I've actually had on the show. Uh, my wife is excited about this because she entered a contest and not only won tickets to the event, but one of her favorite authors is going to name a character after her in the next book. So this is going to be neat. Uh, so all that to say, the reason that you're listening to this now or downloading it later, uh, first of all, we'll give a quick shout out to The Wolf, who acts as my announcer. And you can listen to him and his dear wife, Susan, who are on the Mixed Radio Network every Friday night from 8 o'clock until midnight. And to Michael Cardello, who wrote that opener for me, a free gratis and for nothing. Um, my first guest out of the gate, of course, is Lynette Carrington. Uh, she joins the Repeat Offenders Club today. Even though Lynette and I have worked together many, many times over the last several years, this is only her second appearance on the show, so I'm happy to have her back. Uh, she's one of the best friends that I've made in the process of doing this uh, podcast over the course of the last six years and set me up on dozens upon dozens of interviews in her capacity as a publicist uh, and has now moved on to another role that she's really excited about as a media specialist and features writer for scottsdale.com. Uh, and without further ado, the cutting room floor proudly welcomes back my old friend uh, Lynette Carrington. Lynette, how are you? Hi, Casey. I am so honored to be a member of your Repeat Offenders Club. Well, I, I say that as a term of I respect, right? Because these are, you know, this is a group of people that has, you know, agreed to give up their time to me on a Sunday more than once, right? So uh, it's, it's always fun to have you guys back and figure out what you're doing and, and uh, you know, hear about your success stories or what you guys have learned. So, um, so I, I guess we can just sort of jump right into it. Why did you decide to? Uh, I know that you really were, were enjoying the publicity bit, but what uh, what was the catalyst behind the move to, uh, to Scottsdale.com? Well, some of your listeners probably remember that I worked in publicity and PR in the entertainment field for many years, and I did love it. I still do love it, but my role has shifted somewhat. Uh, I was really provided this amazing opportunity from Scottsdale.com, and probably most people are like, Scottsdale.com, what's that? Well, let me tell you what it is so you can kind of get the gist of, of what it is that I'm doing there. Uh, Scottsdale.com is one of the hundreds of websites belonging to a media company called City Brand Media. And each site is specifically branded to a city or town. And each website features a business directory, events calendar, engaging business spotlight articles, and a lot of useful information for people that either live in the town or maybe they're thinking of visiting. I would say what's really interesting is that our CEO, Fred Mercaldo actually found me more or less through Facebook. 
after he had been reading the articles that I had written for other publications and after seeing what I was doing out in the community. So for all of those who are not huge on social networking, I'm, I'm testament that yes, it does work in really mysterious ways sometimes. But he approached me almost two years ago. So now I am exclusive to scottstill.com and City Brand Media. I get to work with our completely awesome vice president of business development, and she's a friend of mine, too. Her name is Christina Wagner. And between the two of us, we are literally out in the community constantly. I would say almost every day there's something going on. And ultimately, our company helps businesses to be seen and get their messages out in a really dynamic and effective way. And it puts a lot of eyeballs on their businesses, basically. In fact, if any of your filmmakers or actors or any of your listeners could use a significant type of exposure, all they have to do is reach out to me. And, you know, our rates are super affordable and we have exposure nationwide. So it's really, really a great thing, especially for those in the entertainment industry that are looking to uh get more eyes on their work. Now, does your reach in terms of your role specifically, does it extend beyond just scottsdale.com? Like you mentioned that this is one of 400 websites. Do you write features for all of them at once? Or I I guess, how does that work? Well, it depends on the story. I'm based here in Arizona. And in Arizona, we have scottsdale.com. We have Chandler, Tempe, Mesa, Mesa, Apache Junction, fountainhills.com websites. And I write for all of those sites. So primarily what I do is seen here. However, when I get those higher profile interviews or those bigger events, those can also go nationwide. And recently our company has just expanded globally and we're adding new websites all the time. And like I said, our websites are branded to cities. So they really hit uh, specific demographics and specific areas, which is, which is great for businesses. And, and I mean, you know, people don't normally think of Scottsdale as, as one of the cities that's, you know, sort of a hotbed for entertainment. But I mean, you pointed out it's, yourself that, that, I mean, there's a really, really thriving entertainment business there, right? You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on out here. And sure, we're not Los Angeles, but I would say we are Los Angeles adjacent. <laughs> so there's a lot of really great things that uh, that we get to do. And I I actually had to go back in my brain and think about all of the different things I've done in the entertainment realm in the last year in terms of stories, because I wanted to tell you about some of the great people that I've had a chance to meet and interview and work with in the past year. Now, granted, primarily I'm writing about businesses, but I'm also doing quite a bit of of entertainment and events as well. Didn't you tell me at one point that you got to go to a, uh, or no, you had to pass it up or something like that, that there was a, a screening for a film and they promised that it was going to be a special one and it, it ended up being a Tom Cruise film and he was actually there or something like that? Oh my goodness, that was such a crazy story. My my family and I had gone out to, I believe, yes, it was Harkins Theatre and they had passed out this little slip of paper and it said that they were having this special screening and would we like to go And of course, I have so many things I do. I was so busy. And as much as I love film, I just couldn't cram this last thing into my schedule. So it kind of slipped my mind and I didn't go. Well, it turns out that Tom Cruise was there. So that'll teach me, right? Well, I mean, I have a similar story when I was in college and I I still get hell for this a lot, but uh, they, they had a film club and I went to one meeting and it was like three guys and, you know, stale coffee and this kind of thing and I thought okay this is really you know nobody's taking this seriously so you know a couple of weeks later in the morning announcements there's a notice that says that they're going to have a guest speaker by the name of Martin Scorsese there and (laughs) I thought this is total bullshit and you know it's just a ploy to try to get people to to go to this meeting and he actually showed up so so I, I I passed up a chance to be having coffee with Martin Scorsese so Oh, okay. So we've both learned a lesson here. We've both learned a valuable lesson. The next time when, you know, somebody says somebody big is going to be there, you go, you know, so. Right, right. um, So, I mean, to that extent, though, I mean, you you posted the... you posted the pictures of some of the people that you've had the the honor of interviewing. I mean, who are some of the more memorable ones that stick out in your head? Well, I would say there's actually been a lot 
that has happened in the last year. So I, I went through and I actually made a bulleted list of, of all the cool things and neat people that I've met in the last year. So I thought I'd just run through them with you. Sure. And sure. if you have any questions about anything, just, just hop in and uh, ask me. Um, just going back maybe one year, uh, let's see here. I interviewed Rick Springfield for a film that he did called Ricky and the Flash. With, uh, with Meryl Streep, right? With Meryl Streep. Yeah. And I, I did see the movie. It was I was surprised. It was so great. Of course, Meryl Streep, it, it doesn't matter what she does. It's always amazing. And Rick Springfield was surprisingly good, and I would say perfectly cast. He did a fantastic job in that role. People forget that he did a fair amount of acting work, too, though, right? Like, he, he was uh, yes. in some low-level stuff, but I, it seemed to me that he did some sci-fi stuff, too, at one point. Yeah, he did some sci-fi. He's done. Uh, he did General Hospital for years and years earlier in his career, and then he came back to it, which I thought was really interesting. And he he still continues to do quite a bit of work, and I would say he's he's very devoted to his craft. He seems to be extremely serious about it. He, I would say, he understands his his niche in what he does, and he's very engaging, really intelligent man. I really enjoyed speaking with him. And then about six months ago, I headed off to Jerome, which is up in the hills a little bit. It's an old mining town in Arizona. And they had the Jerome Film Festival. And that was that was kind of fun to meet some other filmmakers and see some of the more edgy films that are being made out here. That was kind of fun. Um, I have to tell you about this really cool premiere that we went to. Uh, again, this was our vice president of business development, Christina Wagner and myself, we got to do red carpet interviews with Jenna Elfman and Paul Wilson for a film called Big Stone Gap. And I think that that's probably out on DVD now. Definitely worth a watch. Such a cute film. Just fantastic. Of course, Jenna Elfman, she's, she's so completely adorable. You just fall in love with her right away. And her co-star was Paul Wilson, who I was not familiar with until I met him on the red carpet. It turns out he's also Patrick Wilson's brother. And Patrick Wilson and then Paul Wilson, together with their brother Mark Wilson, have a band called the Wilson Van. And I have so much respect for them because they do a lot of really wonderful things with nonprofits. And getting to meet Paul and getting to know him and what he does, he's such a dynamic entertainer. I really hope he does more films because he's just such a great guy and really nice. If you want to hear more about their band and what uh, events they're doing and what charities they support, you can go to thewilsonband.com. Uh, one of them I have to ask you about, uh, Lynette, that, that caught my eye, uh, first of all, is uh, you got to interview a good Canadian in this mix, right, in the form of Robert Herjavec, right? That was actually a couple of years ago. Oh, that, that long ago? Okay, I didn't it realize was, that. Okay. It was a couple of years ago, and but I have some I have some updates about that, too. I absolutely love the show Shark Tank. I, I love it. I don't really get a chance to watch much television because I am so busy, but I love business and I love entrepreneurship. So naturally I love that show. Robert Hershevec is, he's so smart and he's nice too. He, everybody refers to him as the nice shark and he truly is, but he always has so much insight and so much valuable information, but he has a brand new book that is coming out. Um, I think it comes out in just a few weeks. So I will be interviewing him again in just a few weeks. And that interview will also be on scottsdale.com. And we're going to put that interview nationwide on all of our websites. And if anybody wants to see a list of all of the wonderful websites that our company has, um, they can just go to scottsdale.com, just poke around, and you will, you'll see the list of, of everything that we have to offer and I'm, I'm so excited to bring this interview because so much has changed with Robert Hershevec in the last few years. It'll be great to catch up with him. And he looks like a, a really bright guy, too. From uh, from You hear him talk and like he's got his thought processes very clearly mapped out. Like I, I'm always kind of impressed and he, he's a fun guy to watch as opposed to, I mean, Kevin O'Leary, he's there and he gets a lot of attention <laughs> for some of the things that he says. But, but sure. you know. 
Robert is incredibly smart. I think what he brings to the table to anybody is just a really unique experience in terms of his upbringing and in terms of his business. Sure, he's entertaining and sure he does Shark Tank, but really it's interesting to hear the business side of things because that's that's really where he lives. He's just endlessly interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, one could argue, though, that you can't get to that kind of level without that kind of, you know, mentality, right? I mean, you either have it or you don't if you're, if you're going to be managing a, you know, a billion-dollar enterprise like that. Right, right. And I've had a chance to preview Robert's new book, which which isn't out yet, but I'm not going to talk about it quite yet. That's fine. But I would say it's a it's a wonderful read for anyone that's in business or anyone who's considering starting their own business. Um, another one who I actually seen you post pictures about was was Kevin Klein. Was that a recent one or was that a couple of years ago as well? That was that was a few years ago. He came out with a Shakespearean company that's out here in the Valley. And he came out here as, I think it was maybe part of a fundraising event or something like that. And it was really interesting to get to meet him. He was soft-spoken. I was kind of surprised. Sometimes actors are so gregarious and so loud, but Kevin was actually sort of the opposite of that. And he was genuinely interested in hearing everyone's story and what they had to say and I was so lucky to get to meet him because it doesn't happen every day. It's funny that that happens though and I've heard that about some of the you know the the bigger actors that a lot of them you know despite all the fame and everything that they've accumulated are actually quite shy people right? Some of them are Yes, I, I would I would say some of them are, and then some of them when you interview them, you know they're just on they're yeah. they're on and they're talking about their project and they they definitely know what they're what they're going to be promoting what they're going to be saying. Um, I want to say that uh, someone that I recently interviewed who I've interviewed many times before and he's always just a complete blast is actor Sean Patrick Flannery from uh, oh gosh you would know him from. Boondock Saints, uh, Powder, The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, Saw 3D, the final chapter. Um, yeah. He has this great new book. It just came out a few weeks ago. It's called Jane 2, like the number two. It's called Jane 2. It's this great book about first love, and it was written in this beautiful romantic style that I would say you might not even expect from someone like that. And And this is his first... Uh, I think this is, yeah, this is his first published novel and it was just outstanding. I was, I just loved it. And I had a chance to interview him ab about it. And like with everything else that he does, uh, you know, he's an actor, he's an athlete. Now he's a published author. He's so passionate about what he does and he thoroughly embraces media. He absolutely loves his fans. He loves his fans, I think, like no one else I've ever seen. And he's he's just the greatest guy. And he has such a fun sense of humor. It's it's always a pleasure to interview Sean. And he, he looks like to me like a, a natural born storyteller too. I mean you hear the you know the words flow out of his mouth and he's just got the gift of the gap, right? Absolutely. And I think he's he's been acting for so long too. I think probably a lot of that is just because, you know, now he's he's a little bit older. He's been in the business for a while. And I would imagine that storytelling probably comes more naturally to him now. And maybe this was the right time for the book. It just it just all came out for him. And it was so fantastic to to see him do this. You know, it's a really great project, really great book. So apart from. Uh, the entertainment business, right, and, and celebrities and stuff like that. Yes. What, what are some of the other things that, that you really personally enjoy writing about? Oh, goodness. Um, I really just love writing about business in general. It doesn't matter if someone is a doctor or maybe somebody has a jewelry business or maybe somebody just, is running their huh? own nonprofit. This one has its own bad. Okay, uh, Lynette, I'm just going to interrupt yeah, you. Uh, uh, Larry, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, yeah, we're, we're just, uh, I've got about five minutes uh, left here with Lynette, so if you could please just mute up and then I'll bring you in, all right? Okay, I'll do that. All right, thanks a lot. All right. So, yeah, uh, Lynette, we were discussing, uh, you know, some of the other favorite topics apart from entertainment that, uh, that you're interested in writing about. 
Yeah, so at scottstill.com, it really doesn't matter to me what somebody does. I want to hear their story. I want to know their background. I want to see their passion. And that's that's where I think I can really excel with scottsdale.com is just getting to those really cool stories that, that really make a business stand out from everything else. And I wanted to just briefly tell you something. This just happened a few days ago. I was out at an event and I do cover events uh, frequently. It's lots of fun. Um, there is a homeless dining room out in Phoenix called St. Vincent de Paul. And with funds from Celebrity Fight Night, which is a big event that's held here locally, they added a great outdoor basketball court. So these people that come down there can, you know, get some fresh air, stay in shape. So a few days ago, the basketball court was dedicated to the memory of Harlem Globetrotter Meadowlark Lemon, who had passed away in uh, 2015. And... Some of the Harlem Globetrotters were there to show off their skills and to present Meadowlark Lemon's wife with an honorary jersey. It was so pretty. But while I was there, I met actor Kevin Sizemore and his son, Gunnar Sizemore. Oh, really? Of course, Kevin plays Anthony on the new show, Fear the Walking Dead. And he's been in just countless films and TV shows. And he's actually working on bringing a movie about Meadowlark Lemon to the screen. It was so great to see his passion for this project. And he and his son were friends with the late Meadowlark Lemon. So there was this really lovely personal tie. And, uh, of course, Kevin and Gunnar Sizemore, uh, they have a publicist in Wendy Shepard, who, of course, is a personal friend of mine. So I guess sometimes the entertainment world is a, is a small world for me. Yeah, well, it's small for, uh, smaller than you think. I, I mean, I got to know Wendy through you as well. And, and uh, one of the interviews, actually, he's been on here two or three times. I've spoken to Kevin. and he, He's a really nice guy. Yeah. Oh, he's he's fantastic. Again, lots of passion, really easy to speak with, and just a super nice guy. And his son Gunner is just adorable. I got to meet his wife. Oh, they're just they're a great family. They're wonderful. Okay, I'm going to throw a question at you here, uh, Lynette, from the chat room. Paul Reeves, who is somebody that you and I both know, a uh, longtime listener of mine and a good friend, and he's yes. been on here many times. Uh, Paul was asking if you'd ever written a story about video games. That's that's his domain, right? <laughs> Hi, Paul. How are you? No, I have not written about video games. However, a few years ago in a previous job that I had, I did get a chance to work on video game. Uh, I think it was an MMPR, and I don't know whatever happened to it, but I was able to name a lot of the characters and do some of the character development and some of the little bits of the storyline. So it was not writing necessarily, but it was kind of developing. And I thought that was kind of interesting. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so what do you do in your capacity as a, um, a media specialist for Scottsdale.com? Do you handle their, their social media feeds? I guess what's the level of your involvement there? Uh, I do a little bit of social networking. Of course, mine is mostly just on my personal stuff. Our vice president of business development, Christina Wagner at Scottsdale.com, she mostly handles that end of it. In terms of media specialist. I will definitely approach anyone, everyone, publicists, whoever I think might make for a really interesting interview. I'll reach out to uh, that person or that organization to see if we can make a connection and, and get an interview going. Like uh, just last week, I had reached out to the White House to uh, maybe secure an interview with uh, Vice President Joe Biden. I hadn't heard back quite yet, and I'm hopeful. We'll see what happens. <laughs> How do you prepare for, for an interview like that? Uh, you know, one of the most well-known people internationally, like what, what goes through your head when you secure an interview like that? And how do you sit down and decide what, what ground to cover? Do you work with their managers and set out ground rules? I guess, how does that work? Um, not necessarily, although I always welcome input from publicists because a lot of times they will give you a list of talking points, things that you want to cover. Usually... It's these are shorter interviews because they do take place more often than not over the phone. And I will usually they're focused on something, either the release of a book or a nonprofit organization. So I really try to formulate my questions and keep everything very centric to whatever it is that that person has to promote at that time. That way they get their most their most bang for the buck, so to speak. Uh, on scottsdale.com and our nationwide network of websites 
and they can get the proper message out there. So I really do love working hand in hand with publicists because I do understand their job and I also understand the viewpoint of the artists. So I really, uh, I really love it. It's a lot of fun. Well, I, I mean, I would echo that too. That, that uh, you know, one of the clauses that I always put in the uh, set of instructions that I put out is if there's something specific that you want me to bring up or avoid, let me know and I won't go there. Right. And right. It could, because right. it could be something innocuous that you think is innocuous and it really upsets somebody. And I don't want to do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That happens. Or or sometimes I'll, I'll put a notification out. Oh, hey, I'm going to interview so and so next week. And inevitably somebody will contact me. Hey, can you ask him for an autograph? Nope. Can't do that. <laughs> no, I don't do that either. No, 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 no. No, that doesn't fall under the realm of being being uh, someone in media and and operating professionally. So. Anyway. Well, well, yeah, I mean, it's a question of establishing trust, right? That, that uh, you know, if you right. develop a reputation for not asking for stuff like that, I, I've told people I could probably get away with it once or twice, but that would be the, about the end of it, right? Yeah, yeah. I always try to keep everything that I do, I try to keep in the realm of what that person thinks is important or what it is they're trying to promote. That's always that's always me keeping my eye on the ball. And of course, if anybody out there listening today wants to read any of these articles, they can go to scottstill.com and just search for any of these names that we talked about today and they can read some of the things that I've done or they can uh, find me on Facebook or Twitter. I'm very easy to find. If they, uh, if they look up your name on scottstill.com, would they get a concise listing of all the articles that you've written? Um... I don't know that I'm not sure if they're in there necessarily under my name. I would say they could just they could just uh, Google the person's name, the interview name. Okay, so all they, right. They could they could probably look at it that way. Um, I think there are some things listed under Celebrity Fight Night, uh, Sean Patrick Flannery. You can search his name. You can find all those things on there. Okay, I think I'm just going to take one quick second here, and I'm going to see if I can add Larry to this call. So. Awesome. All right, Larry, where are you? Oh, oh he appears to be... Okay, uh, Larry, if you're listening to this, we're ready to patch you in, so um, it seems that he's... I can, I can hear you. Oh, you are? Okay, there you are. Okay, okay, great. I didn't realize you were still in the group caller. Okay, so Lynette, the last question I have for you is uh, where can people go to learn more about your work and what you're doing? Sure. Primarily, if they just go to scottsdale.com, they can pretty much find everything that they need there. There is also a list of all of our websites that are done. They're listed out by city if they go to citybrandmedia.com. But again, scottsdale.com is the site that is set up that really showcases the city and has all of the great business stories and highlights a lot of our very dynamic businesses that we have here in Scottsdale that are just doing outstanding things. Well, Lynette, uh, as always, it's a pleasure catching up with you. It's been way too long since I spoke with you last time, and certainly uh, I, I look forward to speaking with you again. If uh, there's anything that I can do to help you, then by all means, uh, you know, you know where you can get a hold of me, right? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And Larry, it's always a pleasure seeing you online as well. Thank you very much. And uh, I got to enjoy this. Uh, we're doing an open house here. So I've been walking around with my headsets on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to bear with me for about another five minutes, Larry. I'm going to play the Hollywood rock and wrap up and uh, a little Robert Palmer just to make you guys feel old. If you remember Addicted to Love, this was the number one song May 3rd, 1986, 30 years ago. So, uh, and then we'll be right back. All right. So, Larry, if you could just meet yourself up just for a few more minutes, and Lynette, I'll be catching up with you soon. All right. Thanks, Casey. All right. Bye. It's the Hollywood Rock and Wrap Up with your host, Jason Hadley. Steven Spielberg made a whopping $187 million from the sale of DreamWorks Animation to media giant Comcast. 
That's like the equivalent of three months of Comcast basic cable service. Following his cremation, things have already turned sour for the siblings of recently deceased music icon Prince. Minnesota law states that everyone gets an equal share. So the only person who's gotten burned at this point is Prince. Usher shared a nude selfie with social media fans that still had the business end of his man parts partially exposed. Years ago, it would have been completely hidden. <clears throat> inside Justin Bieber. With its horrible ratings, Kim Kardashian was openly grateful to hear her sister's show Cocktails with Chloe was recently canceled. In Chloe's defense, even the highest-rated show on FYI Network is still the lowest-rated show on television. And that's the Hollywood Rockin' Wrap-Up. Follow us on Twitter, at Rockin' Wrap-Up.
And again, that was Robert Palmer, Addicted to Love, number one song on the uh, first week in May, 1986. So if you wanted to feel old, that song is 30 years old this week. Aye, aye, aye. All right. <laughs> so my um, guest uh, for the second segment of the show is uh, Larry Fleming, Lawrence to his friends. Um, also is in the Repeat Offenders Club. He's on this show a couple of times before. He's a very prolific producer, actor, and entrepreneur, and uh, cosplayer also. Uh, if you check out his Facebook page, he's got some really cool pictures and costumes. Looks more like Tony Stark <laughs> than Robert Downey Jr. Um, has over 100 credits to his IMDb page, and uh, always a fun guy to have around, and uh, knows more people than I do in the indie entertainment business, and after six years of doing this show, that's saying something. Um, so without further ado, the Cunning Room Floor proudly welcomes back uh, a longtime supporter and a good friend of this show is Larry Fleming. Larry, how you doing? Casey, I'm doing great and uh, great, glad to be here today. So, no, I appreciate you coming back, right? So, um, now I understand that you know, one of the things that you and I kind of discussed offline here was that um, you were trying to focus a little bit more on your, on your acting as opposed to the, uh, the producing work right now. Yeah, well, this year uh, I turned 62. My Social Security starts uh, in a month, and I'm going to quickly do a quick aside here. I'm hearing some pretty nasty thunder not too far from me, so if we get cut off for any reason, uh, that's why. Okay, yeah, but, are you having a bad storm down in Atlanta, are you? Or? Uh, we get pop-up storms uh, because it gets so hot here in the daytime Okay. that if anything comes in, there's a front coming through, and they're always colder than we are here. It always causes these major pop-ups, thunder and lightning. Uh, yesterday we had a bunch of trees down, uh, not where we're at, but closer to Atlanta. So, uh, we get some pretty nasty stuff here. We don't get the big tornadoes like they get in the Midwest, but we get small ones occasionally. So Wait, I, pay I, attention. I saw like a, I watched the, the NBC news, uh, you know, at night there. And I, I saw you guys, the, the whole East coast was getting pretty clobbered though. Right. With the flash flooding and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, again, where I'm at, I'm up on. Uh, the foothills, it's not too bad up here. I don't have any major problem. But down along the river and some of the uh, lower-lying areas, they get flooding all the time. And in fact, I watched something about the city trying to buy up some of that lower-level uh, land to keep people from b building there again because they keep flooding out every five, ten years. So uh, getting back to the, the acting part of it, like uh, what kinds of things are you actually exploring now? Um, at this point, I'm taking on anything I can uh, to build up my resume, if you will. Um, the fun things that I'm doing, uh, I'm doing a lot of the Star Trek fan films. And surprisingly, because of the technology that you can put to bear with this now, you can make an excellent quality fan film if you do the right things, get the right directing and the right script, and be comparable to anything that we saw uh, from the original Star Trek series. Or even next gen, some of the some of the series that are out there now are that good. So I'm having fun. I've been in uh, four or five different ones right now, uh, doing different parts, and I'm I'm loving to to play Star Trek and to walk around the set of the Enterprise. And and uh, this is something that uh, I'm going to get into the, the the whole notion of the fan film in just a second because you're not the first person that's brought this up on the show. I, I had uh, I, I've introduced you to Paul Reeves, haven't I? Who uh, yes. So I mean, he was involved in a fairly high profile one for Doctor Who, which is another one that you see a lot of fan films about, right? Yes, that's it. There's all the uh, big shows have fan films because they have a big fan base. So, I mean, I guess when you're doing this, right, um, is it a simple homage in terms of remaking your favorite episodes or plot lines from movies, or do you actually have people that write new plot lines for you, and, or is it a combination of both? Um, since there's four or five that I'm involved in, there's probably uh, close to a dozen around the country and the world. Some of them do remake. But most of the time, it's brand new scripts, uh, good solid actors playing the parts. So, uh, like I said, the fan film right now industry, especially for Star Trek, is basically filling a gap that's been left there by CBS and Paramount for, for many years. And the quality, and you can, and because we can't make money with these, you can go up online and watch them for free. Uh, if you want to buy a DVD, you can, but there's no profit made from any of this. But it's free. You can go up and, on YouTube. And you can look up uh, Farragut Films, Star Trek Continues, uh, Potemkin Films, um, 
extra trek. There's, there's a bunch of them out there that you can go look right now. And some of these are really elaborate, too. Like you said, that the technology exists now that, I mean, anybody with a, a camera and, and, you know, the, the software to some extent is much, much more accessible to, to regular people, right, on the, on the outside of the film business. Okay, well, I've got some feedback going there. I'm sorry. I don't know if you heard that, but that was a wild thundercloud. Anyhow, was, uh, okay. <laughs> I can make a movie that would be presentable on, on any medium with my cell phone. That's the technology that we have today. Um, obviously, you're going to have to worry about still lighting and things like that, and you've got to get the sound right and all that. But if you do all the right things, you don't have to have a lot of money to make a fan film. It just You don't go out in the backyard with your Super 8s like you used to, and it, you know, it looked like it. Nowadays, I can, I can get a Steadicam for my phone and walk around and get still pictures. And you can also get software that will do some... Uh, uh, steady cam work for you just in the software side of it. So the technology is there. If this is what you're into, if you want to make films, nothing's holding you back. Go out and start making them. Now, the the, uh, the Star Trek thing, like I, I mentioned just a few minutes ago, is something that's really near and dirty, right? That uh, And if memory serves, you actually met several of the people who worked on the uh, original series, right? Um, yeah, I, I'm uh, in the green room with uh, Mr. Shatner uh, at least once a year. Um, I was just with him uh, a month ago. This is the 50th anniversary of Star Trek this year, uh, the original series. Uh, next year is the 30th anniversary of Next Generation. So we got some very monumental time periods coming up. And 50 years, if you didn't get to see everybody before, you need to get out there now because these guys are getting up there in age. Uh, we lost uh, Mr. Nimoy last year, and Shatner and Nimoy are the same age. Um, well, they, uh, uh, William Shatner is is uh, is north of eighty, if I don't miss my guess, right? Uh, I believe they were both their birthdays like two days apart, Nimoy and Shatner. I, I think didn't realize. I think he's eighty five. Eighty five, jeez. And I, he's still getting around good. In fact, the time I saw him a couple months ago, or whenever that was, uh, it's the best he's looked in a long time because I see him every year. So he's really working on his diet, exercise, and. He's, he's really uh, an avid horseman, uh, likes to ride those prancing horses. I don't know what they're called, but uh, he does a good job of that. He's got awards for that. And he raises horses, so uh, that's his fun pastime when he's not uh, playing Star Trek. I, I've often wondered, like now, now that you brought it up, because he's made a few documentaries about the series, right? About you know the captains and various spins on it. And some of them are really compelling stories. And, and um, now that you mention it, I, I, it would almost be interesting to see him do a documentary on fan films. That would be uh, something that I'd like to see done. Um, right now, we have a slight problem with CBS and Paramount. Uh, flexing their muscle a little bit. Um, one of the fan films actually raised enough money that it hit the radar for them. And, and I, they've got a new series coming out, by the way, if you're not aware. Uh, CBS is going to produce a new TV series, Star Trek series. That's lot about it. But, I, uh, I think that's the one with, uh, isn't David Morse or somebody like that? That? We don't know the cast yet, but we know uh, the players that are going to help build it. And, in fact, Gene Roddenberry's son is involved in that. And they brought in some big players that were involved in the original series to uh, help get it off. And I, I believe I just saw that they're going to film it in Vancouver. So they're, they're ready to go ahead with that. And I think that uh, they just wanted to make sure that some of the fan films uh, followed the rules and played with them a little bit so they could uh, not have some conflicts. Um, they picked a bad timing for this. It's, Again, the 50th anniversary, so they shouldn't be picking fights with their fans. Uh, they should love their fans. No, no fan film uh, would ever want to harm the uh, brand because that's we all love Star Trek. No, and, and I mean that would be uh, you know you'd be sending the wrong message on so many different levels, right? So. Yeah, I mean, fan films like we've talked about with Doctor Who. You know that Lucas had Star Wars fan films. Uh, he'd have a competition and invite them to his ranch in Northern California, and they show all these fan films there. So he embraced the fans in their fan films, and that's how you keep fans happy, and that's how you continue uh, building your brand. 
<laughs> I remember, uh, I think Mel Brooks was the one that told the story about Spaceballs and how he was worried about what, what Lucas was going to think. And when Lucas found out about it, he offered to help him. And, you know, that's why some of those sound effects sound so close to, to the originals, <laughs> right? That, uh, uh, imitation is the truest form of flattery, I guess. Uh, you know what? Any... I mean, if you're going to make something on that kind of scale that's going to appeal to that many people, then yes, I would say go so far as to say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. You, you know, you want people going out there and making memes and gifts and all this kind of stuff, and you know, sharing clips and you know, doing like you do, going into these cosplay conventions. And I mean, that's what you want people to do. That that's what establishes longevity is people going back and and seeing these things dozens and dozens of times, right? That's right. I mean. I've seen every movie, a Star Trek movie, uh, countless times. I don't know. It depends on the movie. Um, I think there was a joke about uh, only the uh, even number of films were good, but, you know, I, I even watch a bad Star Trek film because I like the, uh, the series. Well, I mean, you know, with all due respect to Mr. Shatner, I, and I don't pretend to be a Star Trek fan either, but I learned by osmosis because my, my wife and my two best friends are, right? So, I mean, I've seen them all too, but I, I would go so far as to say that number five was the one that stuck out in my mind as being rather forgettable. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, um, the one you run out of storylines after a while. Uh, you've got to basically stay true to everything. And when you're doing a TV series, you can have bad ones that are mixed. Uh, but when you're doing a movie, it's only out there. You don't make a movie like every two or three years that if you're really pushing them out. Typically, it's at, you know five to ten years, so you got to make it hit the mark a little bit better. Well, yeah, and one bad movie can kill a franchise for a generation, pretty much, right? I mean, you know, it, it could have taken a long time for them to recover, and you know, it could have taken them ten or twenty years before they thought about making another one. Yeah, I mean, you got to you got to get people to put money behind these. These are big budget films. Um, I mean, if you talk about Star Wars, the first three are great. The second three are okay. I watched them, I enjoyed them, but they're not as good as the first three. Uh, so, what was your take? take on, it, what was your take on the recent one? Uh, on the on the recent Star, Star Wars. Wars. Oh, yeah. excellent! I enjoyed uh, it too. I watched it again last night. So, um, I, I wanted to ask about a couple of the projects that you're working on here. I know that you have a couple that are in post production. There's there's one called Tinker. If I, if I can ask you about that. Um, yeah, that, they're trying to finish up some of the. Uh, post work on that. Um, that's kind of a, a, a good family film, but it's got some emotion in there. Um, Christian Kane is in there. Uh, he's uh, been on Leverage, and uh, he's in the Librarian series. Um, let me see if I can find their website real quick. But uh, that, that was a good movie film, that in Alabama. And I just, uh, I, I helped support it, and I just had a quick walk-on roll with that. Uh, but I got a chance to see some really good people work on that. And uh, so we're looking forward to that one coming out here soon. Uh, and uh, another one that you were working on was called As They Fall? Um, that's another one. They're all kind of in different levels of uh, post-production at this time. You, you don't think about it, but most films take anywhere from uh, five to ten years from the idea state to getting it out to somebody. Wow. When you look on IMDb, those are finished products that have been released. You don't know how many years have been there to get them to that point. Uh, Lucas even took seven years to get someone to, to buy Star Wars. And he was at that time was already a, an accomplished uh, uh, producer director. So it took him a while. And you got to get the budget for it. They didn't have all the fancy stuff we have now. Uh, you can go overboard on fancy CGI nowadays, but uh, it takes a long time. Uh, a, a good year on a good film after uh, filming is shut down uh, to get it to a director's cut. And I mean, you hear about that all the time, right? Like history is riddled with examples of that. My, my favorite one is... Um is Stallone with you know shopping Rocky around and not being willing to give up the option rights to the script unless the studio was willing to let him play the lead, right? That's right. So well, I mean, a, a lot of the actors when they get big enough can do that. Uh, smaller actors don't have a choice a lot of times, but uh, it's it's very important that whoever's got the vision carries it forward. 
you don't want bean counters running Hollywood because they look at the bottom line. And that's why you get so many remakes because the bean counters will go, well, cop movies make money. Let's just make another cop movie or let's make another uh, whatever because they've made money in the past. And if you don't put the pieces together right, it doesn't matter whether they were done in the past. Uh, I was, I was, Paul Reeves here, who uh, I, I know that I've introduced you to. And Paul, I did get all of your feedback, but I'm trying to navigate my way through about four or five different windows at once. And But uh, yeah, he, he was uh, highlighting the fact that the guys who made Troops, the first real Star Wars fan film, ended up getting jobs at ILM. <laughs> you know? Sometimes, yeah. sometimes it's a question of... Uh, 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 yeah, the, uh, he also, uh, he was saying that he worked on the BBC, uh, the Doctor Who film, and uh, he said that the BBC, <laughs> the B I didn't know this, Paul, you should have told me, the BBC rattled their saber over the Doctor Who project that he worked on. Poor guy. <laughs> well, you know, they, they have to do a little bit of that to make sure you're staying with them. Uh, a number of my fan films, the Star Trek ones, uh, run their scripts past uh, somebody at CBS. Um, and keeping in mind that Star Trek is divided into two different divisions. CBS owns the TV series and Paramount owns the movies. So there's totally two different ways of going at this. And when they're trying to make sure they protect their rights, they try to work together, but they're really two separate entities they got to make sure they work with. Uh, so what are some of the other projects that you're working on, Larry? Is there anything else that's coming up for you that you're excited about that you'd like to share with us? Uh, we did one um, called the uh, Sultana Disaster. Uh, remember the Sultana? Um, it's about a riverboat that at the end of the Civil War was uh, tasked to carry uh, Union troops out of the south back up to the north. And the captain of that uh, was a little bit uh, corrupt and tried to work with some of the military to get all the prisoners, not just uh, his lot. And he sent all the other riverboats upstream loaded up his boat with uh, three to 4,000 people, uh, soldiers on there. Uh, they were designed to hold like 800 on the boat, so it was literally standing room only. And he wouldn't get the boat repaired, the ship repaired, and it blew up just north of Memphis. It's the worst maritime disaster in U.S. history, and nobody knows about it because it was at the end of the Civil War, and they just washed it away. So we did a movie about it. Uh, we've already premiered it with... Uh, descendants uh, of the uh, those that died and survivors of, of the ship um, and they loved it so we're waiting for that to come out that's going to be a big one um, Sean Aston narrated it for us so and, it's, a, uh, it's a documentary but it's a very good one and uh, Jim Beaver was attached to that too wasn't he he, he played one of the uh, roles yeah yeah so we've got uh, a lot of involvement on that one um, I'm big into... Um, I, 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 just to close the loop on that, Larry, I actually had Jim on here uh, a while ago when they were in the crowdfunding stages for that uh, through another mutual contact that you and I have. Leah Savoli set that up. Uh, mm -hmm. there, there was a couple of other people that were um, that were attached to that that were on here. I remember covering the Sultana story, and I got them a couple of actors, too, I think. But uh, So, yeah, that, that's going to be an interesting one. If, you, if I get a chance to see that, I definitely would like to see it. Yeah, it's uh, it's really good. Like I said, we we're getting good reviews out of it, so uh, that's that's a big one. Um, a series of films that uh, I really like uh, is a series called Mythica, M Y T H I C A, and there's a number of films out. Uh, we've got a, a guest star on there of uh, Kevin Sorbo. Uh, he's our Hercules, if you remember the the movie that he played in that. Uh, he's got a role in that. Really good. Uh, I guess Lord of the Rings feel, Dungeon and Dragon type feel. Uh, really love that kind of a film. And, and so they're, I've, I've helped them on three of them so far. And uh, they film in Utah, typically. And I uh, really like that series. Um, just look at my IMDb page and see what's up there. Uh, I don't back films that I don't enjoy. So if it's up there, I've, I've enjoyed it. Oh, and and you've, you've backed dozens of them, right? I, I mean, you've been at this a long time, right? Yeah, like I said, I mean, if you look at a, at a year and you see that I've got about, you know, 10 or so films come out that year, I didn't have a busy year that year. Those, you know, the past 10 years were busy getting it to that stage in varying stages. So uh, it, those are just the, the dates that things get released. Uh, but again, I'm retiring and that's work. So being in front of the camera is easier. 
I think uh, Ian McClellan uh, said in an interview, it's the easiest job in the world. Somebody tells you what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and they do everything for you. So you don't have to worry about anything. You just learn your lines and you're ready to go. Well, I mean, that's kind of a double-edged sword, though, too, because I've had a lot of people on here that, that uh, you know, like me, are, are business-minded, right? That, that, you know, the thrill is in the hunt business-wise, which is why they become producers. And, and to them, it would be, you know, their vision of a nightmare to stand in front of a camera and try to, I mean, it's not a, you have to look good and you have to, to be entertaining. There's a, there's a level of engagement that goes along with that. And, and uh, I would argue that, you know, a lot of actors struggle with that. So, uh, you know, if I applaud you, if you think that that's, that, that's easy, I don't think I could do it myself. Well, I mean, it's, it's in my blood. Um, I grew up in Southern California when I was young. I went to West Hollywood Elementary School. Uh, so it got in my blood then. Uh, I got into the tech world for a while and got away from it. And I'm blessed to be in Atlanta right now because Georgia is becoming the film hub of the world. Uh, we've got so much stuff going on here. We've got seven or eight TV series that's being filmed here at any given time. Three or four major movies. Uh, this is the home of Marvel. Uh, you're going to see uh, Captain America Civil War get released on Friday. I've got a background part on that because I just wanted to be in it. Uh, but everything's going on. We've got Fast and Furious 8 filming here now, here soon. Just everything's going on here. And so it's a great place for me to be. And I don't want to do the hard work anymore. I want to do the easy work. And uh, I, I would Montreal is known for, for its Marvel films too, specifically the X-Men franchise, right? The last couple of those have been shot up here. So there's been uh, Hugh Grant sightings and- uh, Yeah, uh, well, Montreal uh, Hugh and Jackman, Toronto, uh, Hugh Jackman, uh, I should say that, I'm gonna get in hell for that, but Hugh Jackman sightings. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, Montreal and Toronto, the two big, Canadian hubs for, for filming up there, uh, and Supernatural's filmed up there, uh, so there's a lot of lot of good filming coming out of there too. But as far as uh, the United States goes, uh, New Orleans had a big film industry for a while, and the politicians decided to take back some of the uh, perks that they get, the tax perks, and so they lost some of the work. Same with the Carolinas. Uh, if our government doesn't screw things up for us. We're, we're building studios all over the place. We have Pinewood Studios here. Tyler Perry has bought a military base. He's going to turn it into a studio. Uh, they've taken over an area that was so large, it was, a, it was a GM manufacturing plant. They're making a studio out of it. And we've nicknamed the area Studio City, uh, a la Southern California Studio City. So we're getting so much work up here right now just because of the tax breaks. Uh, I've got to take uh, one quick side break here, and I'm going to try to get Michael David Lynch in here for you, Larry. And uh, again, he's an accomplished filmmaker out of Ann Arbor, Michigan, but he's down in Texas, and his movie just won an award last night. So we're going to see if I can get him on the call. All right? Okay, great. All right. Let's try to get a hold of Michael. So how would you describe, uh, you know, in terms of Atlanta, like, how, you know, the level of growth? I mean, you, you guys have gotten a lot of stuff down there. You hear about, uh, you know, The Walking Dead and all these shows being shot down that area? Yeah, and I've been a zombie. Um, you have? Yeah, they've got a, a small little town that they bought just to, to film The Walking Dead in. Um, when they're done, they'll probably turn it back to people to be a, a tourist site. But, uh, yeah, that's done here. In fact, I'm, I'm in a, uh, there's a, there's a, con here called the Walker Stalker con uh, based on The Walking Dead. And I'm a performer in, in a, a show there called The Walking Dead Experience. And uh, I'll get to play a zombie in that as well. So, so much going on here. Uh, I can't think of any better place to be right now with all the, all the work here. So, so who would you drop everything to work for then? I mean, you know, who, who are some of the people uh, outside of the Star Trek world? Let, let's uh, put that caveat out there. But who are some of the people that you would sacrifice anything to go out there and work with? Uh, well, I've, I've done some of that. Um, we had a movie filmed here called Sully. And Tom Hanks is playing the, the pilot that landed in the Hudson, uh, the commercial plane. And they were filming some of it. Obviously, they had to film up north. But New York... Uh, Atlanta became New York down here, and I'm in one of the scenes there, and I'm walking into the camera, and I'm all winterized because uh, it's supposed to be cold, 
and I go into a pub there uh, called Meehan's downtown Atlanta. And Sully comes out of Meehan's and, and talks to the camera and on the phone and stuff. That's a, a small scene. When they're done with the scene, they come back into Meehan's and they start drinking beer. So Tom Hanks and the director and all these people are in there drinking beer. Oh, uh, the director was Clint Eastwood. No way. Yes. No way. Really? Yes. So I, that's the kind of stuff I'm getting now. I don't have to wish for it. It falls in my lap. Uh, no, I, I got to ask, because uh, I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, Clint, I mean, Clint Eastwood is, I mean, he's postage stamp big in the States, right? I mean, this, this guy's part of the American fabric, right? Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, I've, we've known about him for a long time. He's actually served me a beer, and I told him that uh, in, in the restaurant that he served me a beer in his restaurant out in Ca Carmel, California, uh, when he owned that uh, many, many years ago. 35 years ago or something like that. Because uh, he used to come in there and pull the tap. He didn't make mixed drinks, but he'd pour you a beer. And so I got to get that from him then. So I've been a big fan of his from the beginning. Okay, so what's it, what goes through your head when you walk into a bar and you see a guy like that? I, I just, you know, <laughs> my heart would be in my feet, I would think. that you know, just Since I'm in the industry, and, you, you know, you understand this, First thing you have to do is rein yourself in. Yeah, that's so true. You don't yeah. you don't uh, play fanboy with them. Um, be respectful for them. You know, you know, you're talking to them. That's all. They like people telling them how much they appreciate their work. I mean, that's why you know we do this. Uh, but just don't go overboard on it. And uh, a lot of people, you know, want to get to them, want to talk to them. So you just don't uh, bogart the uh, the scene, and everything's okay. I remember uh, a story that uh, a friend of mine told me, and she was working as a retail clerk in one of the major um, uh, department stores in Montreal, and um, she, uh, all of a sudden, in walks uh, Alan Alda with his granddaughter, right? And she's going, holy shit, it's Hawkeye, you know, and yeah. in the back yeah. of her head, but what she did instead was, you know, he's there with his two-year-old granddaughter, so, of course, she starts to horse around with the kid, right? And she had him laughing and laughing and laughing, and you know, all of a sudden he was very, very gregarious to her and things like that. So, I mean, I can certainly relate to that. Yeah, I got to watch him work uh, on Mash many years ago. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's down in Southern California too, right? That's uh, shot outside of San Diego, wasn't it? No, um, Malibu Canyon. No. Um, the way this, the way the Mash scenes were set up, if it was inside of a tent, that was on the studio lot. But all the exterior scenes were filmed in Malibu Canyon. So, so where is that in relation to something that I would know? Um, north of LA is Malibu. That's where all the big actors are. Okay. Um, to put it in Iron Man perspective, his house was on the cliffs of Malibu. Um, but you drive up into the foothills, uh, into the hills, and a nice windy road. Uh, and then when you get up on top, it flattens out. There's still hills around it, obviously, but there's farming areas back in there. And this one big ranch, uh, Century Studios owned the ranch. Uh, and Planet of the Apes was filmed out there when they were in the trees. That was filmed there. The uh, part when they came out of the desert and, and got to the water, that first part of the water, that's there. MASH was filmed there. Uh, Kung Fu was filmed in that canyon. Uh, they had a narrow-gauge train that ran through there that was in a number of episodes. Uh, all kinds of stuff out there. And uh, got to do some uh, grip work one summer as a, I guess that was 19 or 20. And uh, got to watch Alan Alder work. So yeah. a lot of lot of lot of memories out there, but uh, I don't think I'd go back unless I could own that Robert Downey house or that uh, Tony Stark house on the beach. Do you still get a lot to a lot of cosplay conventions? Uh, yeah, in fact, right now I'm not taking any work uh, because I've got. Uh, a convention coming up, and I've also got the release of uh, Captain America coming up on Friday, and I'm going to go to the theater and cosplay uh, Tony Stark, so uh, I get in for free. All I got to do is walk in and look like Tony Stark. That's the easiest gig I can get. I'm going to run along with you, Larry. Is that okay? You mind sticking around for a few more minutes? I'm, I'm fine.
Okay, great. So what I'm going to do is just I need to, to uh, cut off the file size here just because I'm not going to be able to load it up on TalkShoe. So uh, we're going to take one quick break. I'm just going to toggle off and toggle on. I'm not even going to break the connection on Skype, and then you and I are going to come back and start up a brand new episode, all right? And we'll see if we can get Michael David Lynch on here. And then I've got uh, Ava Ladere, a.k.a. Uh, Karen Dyer, is going to be on here talking about her web series that she's trying to find out in Los Angeles in a few minutes. Uh, so we've been talking with um, with Larry Fleming, and we're going to be back again in a couple of minutes with Larry. Uh, I, again, with a big thank you to Lynette Carrington, who came on in the first half to talk about all the great work that she's doing with uh, scottsdale.com. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to be right back. Uh, this is Casey Ryan on the cutting room floor. Cut, print, wrap, and I am done. That was another edition of The Cutting Room Floor with your host, Casey Ryan. Follow Casey on Twitter at Cutting Room MRB and on Facebook, The Cutting Room Floor. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.